0: means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Future Tech Podcast. My name is Josh Thomas, and I'm here today with Pete Wassell of Augmate.io. How are you doing, Pete?
2: Pretty good. Thanks so much for having me today.
1: Well, glad to have you here. And so uh, just just for clarity here, in case there was, uh, you know, uh, some static on the line, it's Augmate, A-U-G-M-A-T-E. So you can follow along here and uh, take a look at the website, Augmate.io. So, Pete, tell us a little bit about um, uh, what this actually is.
2: Sure. So, um, Augmate, we've got a, a, a wearables platform, and we had gotten started – Uh, a couple years back with uh, wearables. And and we had started with smart glasses. And um, as they've taken a a, a while to get adoption in the enterprise and industry uh, markets, um, we're now expanding into IoT. And so uh, we believe that wearables are a subset of IoT. And um, it's a, a really great market for companies to be able to leverage Um, new devices that talk with the internet and um, you you need a secure way to do it and you need a way to manage those
1: devices and that's what our platform does. It's interesting that you bring up the the glasses. So Google had this uh, Google Glass that came out a few years ago Uh, and you know it seemed like a really cool thing and it kind of took off but it kind of didn't. And then Mm -hmm. uh, Snap came out with their spectacles, I think, about maybe one or two years ago. And again, it was kind of a cool idea, and they had a great marketing campaign about it. I remember they had these random vending machines that would just pop up without announcement, and you had to go buy these $200 glasses. and, And that was kind of a flop, too. I mean, a lot of people bought them, but they really didn't take off. Just before we get too much more into this, why do you think that that market, which is such a cool idea, why do you think it it hasn't really
2: taken off yet? Well, you know, it's not so much of a, a consumer play. And, and in fact, when we had gotten started uh, in this, um, some of our hardware partners, um, you know, they were interested in what we were doing, focused on industry and enterprise, and um, they they kind of questioned, uh, you know, why we were taking this approach. And we thought that's where where the market was, and um, they had. <laughs> iterated at that time that uh, they they thought this was uh, gaming, entertainment, you know, that kind of thing, a c- more of a consumer side. And I said, well, you know, I just, I, I don't think the devices are ready for that. I don't think the public is, is ready for that. Um, there's battery issues, and um, they would heat it up and, and all sorts of different things early on. Um, but in the uh, industrial in setting, there's a lot of good reasons to use smart glasses. So essentially, we believe that uh, digital information is not where it's needed or expected. And uh, the kind of workers that use this technology, they're deskless workers. So if you're sitting behind a computer, you typically don't need this kind of technology. So these are people that are mobile. And um, so this is you know, a person on the factory floor, the construction site, the warehouse, uh, the factory, these kinds of locations. And there are also people who typically need their hands to do their jobs. And so uh they might have um standard operating procedures of how things get done there might be uh 36 steps to to get something done and it has to be done precisely. Uh they might be working on dangerous equipment, expensive equipment or delicate equipment and by having information in your field of view um is, is a way that people can do workflow and you can kind of uh, keep workers in a state of flow uh by providing them instructions. So it in- improves accuracy and it proves Improves efficiency; uh, those types of things.
1: That's, okay, so that's that's a new perspective that I hadn't heard of before, and it makes it makes sense. Uh, so what you're basically saying is, uh, you know, we're walking around, uh, you know, downtown, or you know, sitting in the office, or something like that. We're surrounded by technology, and we've got our hands, we've got our phones, we've got our computers. But uh, someone who is intensely involved in a very complex job, um, that's the person who could really appreciate this technology because they don't have to use their hands. They don't have to look away from whatever it is. Um, Possibly a a surgeon, maybe, for instance. Your hands are busy. You can't use your hands to go and look up information, but you can have it right there in front of you.
2: Surgeon is a, a great example. That's a great use case. Um, typically surgeons have upwards of uh, about five different monitors. Uh, So one, for example, might be um, used for vitals. That's just keeping track of uh, vital statistics. Another one might be a camera, right? That's attached to an instrument that's going into the body. And uh, what happens is oftentimes the surgeon isn't even looking at the patient or at the body where where their hands are located. Their neck is kind of twisted around uh, to, to look at the monitors. So that's a uh, an example of where uh, information would definitely be helpful, and and you know even in the industrial cases, um, these are folks who traditionally haven't had access to digital information, but could certainly benefit from it. And you know one might say, well, you know there's mobile, right? So why couldn't you have a mobile application? Well, when you go from a mobile device to a wearable, uh, you double the amount of hands that you have. Um, you, if you're let's say in a factory setting. Uh, if your mobile device buzzes and you're in a factory you might not you know feel that buzz if it beeps you might not hear that beep in, in a factory um and, and so like some of the use cases especially as we move into IoT um there's sensors that are being put on equipment so you know let's say you're you're in a manufacturing setting and you're doing assembly line uh, kind of work and there's an operator who's in, in charge of the assembly line well um, the kind of sensors that are on these uh, this equipment uh, might come back and say, you know, coolant is low, temperature is high, uh, the machine is vibrating, you know, like crazy. So when it reaches certain thresholds, there's an ability to let's say send out an alert. So from a let's say machine to human. Uh, communication standpoint, uh, smart glasses are the way, at least right now, you know, through the eye, uh, you know, the visual field is how you could communicate. So, you know, while that information could be sent to a mobile device, um, it may not be picked up, you know, let's say by the operator. But when you've got, uh, you know, information in your field of view, it's literally in your face. Um, And and then a person can be more responsive to taking care of things, especially in a predictive maintenance
1: uh, kind of setting. So aside from the, the glasses, for instance, and you've got sensors on machines, uh, you know, t- describe the entire universe of, of wearables that, that you work with right now. You've got glasses, you've got sensors. Uh, tell me about some other items. We've, we've
2: got 10 different smart glasses on our platform currently and uh, from different manufacturers. So we're device agnostic um, and smart watches as, as well and what we believe is uh these are really just a subset so iot um essentially what's happened is uh just a quick quick history uh lesson in 2006 um germany writes a white paper called industry 4.0 and it ends up being you know really what's the fourth industrial revolution so um the first industrial revolution you have water and steam that's powering equipment uh, second industrial revolution, you've got electrons, you know, electricity and kind of Henry Ford model of uh, assembly. And then the third industrial revolution was really about autonomous robots and, and more in the setting of, let's say, uh, the automotive industry. And and really at that time, um, after that third industrial revolution, most people felt that all of the efficiency and productivity has been squeezed out of that system. Uh, But it, in fact, isn't true. Uh, When you move into the fourth industrial revolution, which is about the flow of data and interconnectivity of devices and communication, uh, companies can get upwards of about 30% onto their bottom line by moving into IoT. So you think about a company that's uh, making $100 billion a year, 30% is pretty significant because there's new business models and in, in new ways of doing things that you couldn't really do uh, in a traditional sense.
1: and so, a uh, of examples for
2: that. so for example, uh, and, and this is, you know, let's say one of a hundred uh, different use cases. Um, you might have equipment where uh, let's say it's part of uh, some, some manufacturing uh, kind of equipment in a traditional sense a company would buy that equipment and use it and if there was um repair needed you know they'd call up a technician and that person would come on site and they would let's say interview people who were working with that equipment and then you know connect some uh diagnostic tools and then you know they'd order a part and then you know a couple of days later the part comes in and install the part and that process might you know take a few days and um you know if you're in the kind of business where every hour that line is down you might be losing ten thousand dollars an hour, right? So you you wanna think about predictive maintenance in different kinds of ways. So a new model, uh let's say in IoT, would be uh the company doesn't own the equipment. They're kind of leasing the equipment and the data actually is being stored on the cloud. So the technician, you know, if there's an issue, they're gonna be alerted at the time when when there's a problem. Um, they could get the information off of that um uh off of the, the cloud they might 3D print the part. They might order the part and have it, you know, ready to go. And they show up on site ready to repair it. So, in in this sense, you know, instead of taking care of one customer, let's say every three days, they're seeing three customers in one day, right? And and then the company is also back online and producing the product that they need to be producing, right? And that's a, just that's that's one example of how IoT can make things um, more efficient and more productive.
1: Industry four water and steam was the first industrial revolution, and then after that it was electricity, and then the third one was uh, robotics and so mm-hmm. the fourth one then it did i o t everything exactly yeah,
2: yeah and and when when they wrote the white paper in, in Germany, um, it was all about the marriage of science and industry and so uh it, when it was written in two thousand six and two thousand and ten, the German cabinet actually got behind it and said let's let's put some money into this." And let's encourage, um, you know, industry to embrace this. And so it started in Germany and quickly other countries in Europe started to see the the benefits of it. And then, you know, now it's, you know, at a worldwide scale. Now, that being said, you know, you you think about um, all the benefits of going to IOT. You would, you know, your your question to me might be, you know, why wouldn't everyone be running to go do this? Uh, well, there there are barriers and there are challenges. So, for for example, uh, just to give you some perspective, um, we're looking at about fifty uh, billion IoT devices just by 2020, about a quarter trillion devices by 2025. And a trillion devices within 20 years, okay? IoT devices, all right. Now, every single one of those devices is an endpoint, and it's got a vulnerability, right? For hacking, and and so security is is definitely an issue. Um, and then the interoperability of of things is also a challenge. You know, what kind of standards are being used? Uh, the kind of things that we think about at Augmate are. Um, you know number one we 're using blockchain, so we 're taking a very unique approach to solving the IOT problem. Uh, we think that helps with the security side of things to to use distributed ledger and encryption um, you know between devices and um, some of the challenges that we think about are there's so much data when you have that many uh, devices. You know, what information do you store on the blockchain and what information do we store then on our platform, you know, in, in longer term storage? Um, what processing is done on the device? What process is done on smart contracts within a, a blockchain or in what processing is done within our platform? So, you know, some of the secret sauce that we really figure out is uh, what you know, what do we want to do where? And, and what makes sense. So so the algorithms and tools to be able to make those decisions are very helpful. And some of it has to do with, um, you know, let's say uh, fog computing, as opposed to, you know, we might not necessarily want to write things up to the cloud, but maybe we'd want to keep things local. And making all those decisions, because so much data is coming off these devices. Um, you have to make those kinds of decisions about what's really important and, and what's useful for business. And, and those are the kinds of insights that, that we really look at.
1: So, Pete, what what got you into this industry, at Um, I tell you what. So, uh,
2: my my background is uh, I'm a former IBMer, and I, I worked out of Silicon Valley in in one of their uh, R and D labs, and so I was really immersed in um, in in a part of the country, part of the world where uh, new technology was just um, you know pretty. Pretty normal. Uh every single week there'd be uh you know new technology being announced and people working on things and just entrepreneurship. And so uh the the difficulty about working for a large corporation is just they move slow. Uh once they get to a certain size, the bureaucracy, red tape, and processes, um they might have good intentions and want to be innovative, uh, but it's difficult for them to become innovative. And so uh what I saw in in Silicon Valley was You'd have big companies large companies really buying uh startups and it 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 makes sense you know you you have uh five guys who start a company who they might have an initial valuation of five million dollars and they try to get that company up to a hundred million dollars and and while it would be great to do an i p o the majority of these uh startups end up being acquired and um, they get up to a hundred million dollars by having growth plays every year. So they, you know, one year they might have a marketing play where they're pointing people to the technology. Another year it might be a geography play where they're in the U.S. and they want to have uh, be in markets in Europe and Asia, that kind of thing. So they have these growth plays each year, and really the acquiring company um, always has a growth play. They take that technology and they sell it to their hundred thousand customers, and you know it's uh, usually complementary software. Um, usually it's an aqua hire. They're, they're picking up those engineers. And uh, just what I had seen in, in Silicon Valley was um, technology has a, a shelf life. You know, it's even when the new technology comes out, it might only be incremental to to the, the last technology, but it's what's being taught in, in college. And so five years, if, if an engineer doesn't sharpen their skills, um, they're kind of, you know, not on the of system. And so you, you just have this continuous uh, pushing forward of new technology. And, and what I find fascinating is using technology as an engine for capitalism. You know, you, you say to yourself, how can this be used to solve problems for customers in the marketplace? And, you know, you, of course, you've got funding coming in one side of that engine and you want 10x to come out the other side. You know, so you, you want to be able to bring this to market, solve those problems. And uh that's that's what's exciting, you know, pulling teams together to, to really do that and deliver that. that. that's what I enjoy doing.
1: Well, it's you know, it I, I appreciate you going back and, and talking about your former, you know, IBM days and seeing how there was you know, innovation but also some red tape. My uh side story here, my, my grandfather worked for IBM for thirty five years and he started in nineteen sixty three and a computer was about the size of your house. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, and he was very proud of that, but, uh, but he didn't have any kind of uh, formal education. He just, you know, back in the 60s, they would just take somebody that wanted to work on this new computer thing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, these days, you know, somebody entering the workforce without this kind of uh, background would probably really struggle because, as you mentioned, the pace is ultra fast, and it's only getting faster every year with innovation. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, and and tell me as you built this company, Augmate, uh, I want to hear more about that. But uh, what what were some of the kind of early challenges that that you've been facing with this uh, as as you're building this out?
2: So um, er, early on, so a, a lot of the devices that we were using early on, the, the smart glass devices, were Android based and uh, you know both android and cloud computing scared a lot of fortune 500 companies you know for security concerns and we had to really demonstrate um why the way that we were um influencing the technology was a safe and secure mechanism and and what we discovered was um you know so we rode that whole hype cycle with with uh, the the glass devices and uh, we would build applications and You know, you'd have great. um, You you could have great uh, pilot programs. You could have a great application. Uh, You might uh, save a worker 30 minutes a day. You might uh, reduce errors by seven, eight percent. You know, on a worker, and you times that by 350 employees. That kind of thing to figure out that business case or ROI, and that would all uh, play out fine. But at the end of the day, we realized that a lot of companies didn't have the tools or processes to deploy fleets of wearables. And so we ended up building out this uh, management platform to be able to do that. Uh, so some of those tools exist for smartphones, but they, they definitely didn't exist for wearables. And so that's how, how we got started. And um, the, the 10 smart glasses that, that we use on our platform, we actually have OEM hardware agreements with the companies. So we put provisioning software on a device that talks back to the web and what we learned was um you know at, at that time in the beginning um it directors needed the ability to for example remote wipe a device or reset someone's password or install applications on these wearables and you they needed um you know really functionality to to be able to do that so we would put provisioning software onto these devices that was actually signed by the keys of the hardware companies so um you know, we'd share our source code with them. So they knew we weren't doing anything malicious. And then we got down to, you know, really an Android or hardware services layer to be able to do those things. So it's not a normal application that just runs on a wearable. Uh, It's got special privileges, right? And then through the web, you're able to centrally manage uh, those devices. Uh, And regardless if, um, you know, it's at multiple sites or multiple divisions or departments, uh, we've got parent-child relationships and ways to be able to Manage these things with uh, policies and, and security to do it effectively. So those were uh, some of the things that we, you know, uh, that that's kind of the point of a startup. You're you're iterating to be able to solve those problems. You're trying to figure out the model of how to take it to market. And so you know you have to be adaptive, uh, flexible, and and then quickly be able to adjust to the market needs. And so then we built out the platform. This phase two that we're working on. Um, you know, IoT is, it's really about eight different exponential technologies together that make up IoT. And so, you know, now that we've got a storage that's so much cheaper, um, you, you know, faster, uh, you know, data networks and, and that kind of thing, all of this together, um, essentially, we believe that we haven't moved to robotics yet. So we don't have robots doing the jobs of humans, right? We probably have a good eight to 10 years before that happens. So the way that uh, machines will be able to communicate is is through smart glasses and wearables. And now we're taking this expertise that we have on uh, security and device management and applying that to IoT. Now, one of the challenges there is that we can't do the same method that we did with wearables. So we won't be able to put our software on every IoT device. It's too fragmented, there's just too many devices. Um, and in fact, we we ended up doing a distributed ledger blockchain technology, even for our own purposes. It, it makes sense from a um, you know technology strategy and, and roadmap, but you can't um, you, you can't sell software the same way you would traditionally. So, for example, if uh, in, in the olden days you might have a piece of software that cost three hundred bucks. And a, a customer that's got fifty computers, you would know what to charge the customer just by doing the you know that math equation, right? Uh, fifty times three hundred. Uh, but in this sense, there's going to be customers, and their IoT devices are going to be different from every other um, customer. So you might have a, a fifty-cent sensor, right? That's a device to a hundred thousand-dollar piece of equipment. That's an IoT device. And so we ended up putting together a, a point structure because you have to know, are we charging by device? Are we charging by um, transaction? Are we charging by data? Are we charging by storage of that data? Are we charging by how that data is being shared with their partners in ecosystem? So we put a, a, a point system together, which is really our token. So the token is a fractional license access token uh, that has cryptographic coupon attributes. So we're using blockchain to be able to use that token and, and, and why it makes sense is it's used internally for point tracking so that we can actually figure out how to, uh, you know, in a fair and equitable way, charge our customers. Uh, but from the outside, they're able to use it to access our platform. So uh, it's one of those utilities that really makes sense because, you know, you know, when you start looking at um, ICOs and these token offerings that are that are out there, the question that always comes up is, you know, why blockchain? Why are you using? Why use distributed ledger? Uh, this is one of those cases IoT that it's a it's a perfect set it's a it's a slam dunk as far as I'm concerned. It, it makes sense to to solve this technology challenge with blockchain.
1: Very good, and uh, you're right. Um, there's there's a lot of ICOs out there and a lot of tokens that are. You know, we're all trying to figure out why they exist in the first place. And so, anytime it has utility, it's it's a good thing. And so, as we kind of wrap up here, I wanted to ask you. You mentioned uh, a couple of those cases. Uh, we talked about surgeons and industrial factory worker out on the out in the field. Um, you know, we we have a variety of listeners here on our podcast from all walks of life. Who do you think would be uh, the the most ideal person that that should en- engage with your business in some way. Who who are you looking for?
2: I'll answer in two parts. Um, while this year we're doing a lot of work with with industry, uh, we've uh, recently done projects with uh, UPS, and uh, we've got a, a very interesting project with with smart glasses in a company called Brain Power, uh, which is uh, providing them to autistic kids. Um, so we're working on some uh, pretty interesting projects in the future, though, we will be doing IOT in a, a consumer play. And so, um, in the future, we believe everything's going to be data, even, even the you know, currency, a future currency is data. And so, uh, as people get, you know, their nest thermostats and their doorbells that also have a, a video camera in them and smart refrigerators and smart TVs and, um, you know, Alexa, Echo, and and, and these kind of personal assistants, um, just managing the data and and what data gets exchanged and passed back and forth, including wearables when it comes to, um, you know, health trackers and and this type of thing. Uh, As this data becomes more connected, um, we'd we'd like to empower the people and, and humans to be able to manage their own data and not, you know, let's say, let everything go up to the cloud where, uh, you know, some of these companies will control that. They, they should have an ability to opt into that data and uh, if appropriate, you know, perhaps even, um, you know, sell the data if they want to release it. Yeah. So those are some of the things that we're really looking at over the next year as we, uh, you know, expand from an industry marketplace to consumer.
1: Very good. Augmate.io, A-U-G-M-A-T-E.io, Pete Wassell. Thanks very much for joining us here. Uh, that'll do it today for our future tech podcast.
0: I uh, look forward to seeing
1: everybody next time. Excellent. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field,